The title of tonight's message is Army of One. Army of One. The phrase Army of One was initiated by the U.S. Army as a recruiting slogan to encourage the spirit of individual soldiers who will be contributing to a large body of trained warriors. The slogan was intended to engage the individual soldier into the idea that his service is not unnoticed, unneeded, or lost in the multitude of troops. The U.S. Army is proud of the fact that the force as a whole is comprised of individual units that are highly motivated, dedicated, and uncompromised in their endeavor to serve their country and their brothers in arms. Each soldier is equipped in various ways to contribute to the need of the larger army which has its aim at making the world a better and safer place to live. In the One Association, we are an army of one. We are the army of Ehad that the Lord of glory, Jesus Christ, has recruited, trained, and called into battle to fight the enemy on multiple fronts. Everybody say amen to that. I want to give you some statistics. Since 2003, our field of battle has opened up to many fronts. We are engaging the enemy in Houston, Texas, Victoria, Texas, Dallas, Texas, Chicago, Illinois, Baton Rouge, Louisiana, Washington, D.C., Mexico, Cluj, Romania, Aswan, which comprises of the nations of Russia, Turkey, Bulgaria, Romania, Egypt, Israel, Iraq, Iran, Kenya, Indonesia, and India. Can you say we are at war, church? We are at war. war. Say, "I I am at war. Let's read Zephaniah 3, chapter 8 through 9. It says, therefore, wait for me, declares the Lord. For the day I will stand up to testify. I have decided to assemble the nations, to gather the kingdoms, and to pour out my wrath on them. All my fierce anger. The whole world will be consumed by the fire of my jealous anger. Then I will purify the lips of the peoples, that all of them may call on the name of the Lord and serve Him shoulder to shoulder. Shoulder to shoulder. We heard a powerful message from Pastor Wade last Sunday, did we not? Yes, we did. We we found out that the Hebrew phrase shoulder to shoulder is not exactly what it says. The Hebrew reads, Sechem Echad, one shoulder. That the people will call on the name of the Lord and serve Him with one shoulder. That's quite different, isn't it? That means that all of us, we're going to put one shoulder, we're going to have one shoulder of unity, one shoulder of a hod, and we're going to carry the weight together. Amen? Amen. Today we're going to talk about how we do that. We're going to talk about how each and every one of us can put our shoulder underneath the weight. You guys want to begin? I'm going to tell you tonight is going to be like drinking from a a fire hose. All right? So I want you to stay with me. I got a lot of scriptures. I'm going to quote some and read others. When I tell you, flip to this verse, we're going to read it together. We're going to flip to that verse, all right? All right. You guys ready? Are you ready? All right. Turn with me to Luke chapter 7, verse 18, as we start this journey of radical self-denial. Radical self-denial. 
says John's disciples told him about all these things. Calling two of them, he sent them to the Lord to ask, Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? When the men came to Jesus, they said, John the Baptist sent us to you to ask, Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? Now what's interesting about this verse? What's interesting is before this happens, Jesus already, or I'm sorry, John already knows that Jesus is the Messiah. He already knows that. He's the one who baptized him. He's the one that heard the voice come down from heaven saying, this is my son whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. He knew these things. He baptized him. He's the one who was sent in front of him to prophesy about him and to prepare the way. And now John the Baptist is going to Jesus and saying, are you the one or should we expect someone else? At that very time, Jesus cured many who had diseases sicknesses and evil spirits and gave sight to many who were blind so he replied to the messengers go back and report to john what you have seen and heard the blind receive the sight the lame walk those who have leprosy are cleansed the deaf hear the dead are raised and the good news is proclaimed to the to the poor jesus response to him is hey don't you see what i have been doing don't you know that i can't do anything unless the father is in me You see, what's crazy about this verse is John is saying to Jesus, hey, are you the Messiah? Why is he saying that? Why has John suddenly had a change of mind and he's asking Jesus, are you the Messiah? Could it be perhaps that John is in prison and Jesus is out amongst the sinners and the tax collectors and they're calling him a glutton and they're calling him a drunkard and here John is writing from prison and he's saying, hey, what is going on? Here I am in prison. What are you doing? What is Jesus' response to that? He says, blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. You see, John the Baptist was looking at Jesus and saying, hey, why is he doing what he's doing? Why is he he doing that while I'm here in prison? Why does his ministry look different than mine? Why do they call me a demon and they call you a drunkard and a glutton? Why do you get to do those things? You see, you cannot look at other people in the kingdom with the perspective of why they get to do those things and why you don't. The radical self-denial starts when you accept the life that God has given you. Jesus goes on and he says... He began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No. Those who wear expensive clothes and indulge in luxury are in palaces. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes. And I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written. I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. I tell you, among those born of women, there is no one greater than John. Quite interesting, isn't it? Quite interesting that Jesus is saying about a man that there's no one greater than him. No one born of a woman greater than him. Come on, Jesus, how could you say that? Isn't this the same Jesus that gives to all who ask without showing partiality, without showing favoritism? So how could Jesus point to a man and say that he's greater than anyone else? Isn't that the question? 
It's amazing that John's sitting from prison saying, Jesus, come on, you must not be the Messiah. If I have to be in prison being persecuted and you get to go out and do these things, you must not be the Messiah. And Jesus says that he's the greatest ever, ever born of a woman. But Jesus, Jesus is not done. He finishes. He says, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. Come on now. John the Baptist was the greatest that ever came from a woman. And yet, he who is least in the kingdom is greater than he. Now, who wants to be great in the kingdom of God tonight? You want to be great in the kingdom of God? You must become least. What keeps us from becoming great? It's our offenses. It's looking at our other brothers saying, why did they get to do what they do and not myself? Why do they get to do that and here I am stuck in prison? Why is God holding me back and those brothers get to go? And Jesus gives you the answer. Those who are least in the kingdom are greater. Let's go to Mark 10, verse 36. We see another group of disciples in Mark 10 going up to Jesus. They want to know who's greater. They come to Jesus in Mark chapter 10, verse 36, and they say, What do you want me to do for you? He asked. They replied, Let one of us sit at your right hand and the others in your left in your glory. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, You will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. You see, Jesus responds to them. Can you drink the cup that I'm about to drink? What was the cup that Jesus was going to drink? The suffering. Jesus in the garden says, Lord, please, please take this cup from me. But not my will, but your will be done. He is about to drink the cup of suffering. He's asking the disciples, can you drink the same cup? It goes on to say, when the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Jesus called them together and said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them, but not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be the slave of all. For even as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life for ransom for many. Well, I want to tell you, church, that it is a good thing to aspire to be a leader. It is a good thing to aspire to want to be in fivefold ministry. But if you want that, you're going to have to be willing to drink the cup that Jesus drinks. You're going to have to be willing to become a slave to all men so that you can become great. See, what happens in our minds is we think, if I serve in this area, if I go to secret service, if I go to the the places that no one sees me, then I'll never become great. Did not Jesus say, let not your left hand know what your right hand is doing? He said about the Pharisees that they received the reward in full because they wanted to be seen by men. But you go do your deeds in secret, and then your heavenly Father who sees you in secret will reward you. Amen? We all want to be great in this church, but are we willing to drink the cup 
And I, and I would be willing to, even in my life, that keeps me from progressing in the kingdom of God because I do not want to do anything that seems obscure, that seems like it's not glorious, that seems like nobody's going to notice me for doing it. I'll tell you, it's an easy thing to get up here and preach on a Wednesday night because when you're done, everybody comes up to you and says, what a great job you did. Every time I preach, people come up to me and say, right after done, hey, we got to go get lunch together. we got to go do something together. I'm like, man, I've been here all week. Let's go, let's go have lunch, you know. Yeah, I'll get back with you in a couple weeks. <laughs> no, look, it is easy to do things that seem glorious and where people are going to notice you. But are you willing to become a slave to all that you may become greater? Let's go to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. Let me ask you a question. Who wants to be fivefold ministry in this church? I'm surprised you guys raised your hands. It was kind of a trick question. <laughs> Ephesians 4.11. You want to be fivefold ministry? You're going to have to do the things that it requires. Ephesians 4, chapter 11. says, So Christ Himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. Man, what a wonderful bunch to equip His people for the works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach what? Unity. Unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become what? Mature. Mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So let's remember, who said they wanted to be fivefold ministry? So what are you doing? To build up the body so that we may have unity together. If you want to be fivefold ministry, what are you doing so that the entire body can become mature? You see, you don't just become fivefold ministry a day you fall asleep, you wake up like a graduation service, you're done, bam, you got a diploma, you got an award, a medal, and now you're in fivefold ministry. You are a fivefold minister because God has put that gift inside of you for the church and you're walking in it. If you want to be in fivefold ministry, how well are you right now working behind the scenes to make sure there's unity in the church? How well are you working behind the scenes right now, making sure everyone is mature? Who's doing that? Who's going into each other's homes, contributing, making sure that, we ha that, that people are growing and maturing? See, for the most part, we see our pastors doing that. But all of us who want to be fivefold ministry, we need some work, don't we? I need some work. I need some work in that. My mindset thinks that if I want to be in fivefold ministry, I get to be like the Gentile rulership who gets the Lord authority over everyone. I get to be a general, I get to be a chief, and everyone else is an Indian. And that's not true. If you want to be in fivefold ministry, if you want to move into being, becoming great in the kingdom, you have got to become like a slave. That is something that we need to work on tonight. Having the mindset that the lowly position is the better position. The one that, that no one sees get the glory. And yet God sees His heart that He wants to serve the body. He wants to serve the people in front of Him. He wants to, to help making sure there's unity in the body. That is the fivefold minister. Amen? Does that change your perspective? Yeah, changed mine too. Need to work on that. Let's go to Luke chapter 17, verse 7 through 10. See, the problem is, is that we all want to be noticed. 
We all want to be noticed. And it's easy to fall into when we hear our pastors praising somebody for how much they have, they, they have grown in the kingdom, how much they have, they have uh, accomplished. We want, we're like, yeah, I want that too. I want, I want to be noticed. Let's go to Luke 17, 7 through 10. That can cause you to fall into a trap. You there? It says, suppose one of you has a servant plowing or looking after the sheep. Will he say to the servant when he comes in from the field, come along now and sit down to eat? What do you think the answer is to that? No. 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 Won't he rather say, prepare my supper, get yourself ready and wait on me while I eat and drink, and after that you may eat and drink? Anybody in this church ever worked physical labor, manual labor for a living? How hard is it to be plowing in the field, working, looking after sheep, and then come inside and serve someone else? Come in from a long day and begin to serve someone else. How hard is that? That's difficult. Isn't it easy, to, isn't it easy just to think that after we've been out in the field, we're going to go to Jesus and He's going to say, all right now, come down and sit. In fact, He says... Prepare my supper. Get yourself ready and wait on me while I eat and drink. And after that, you may eat and drink. That's, that's kind of tough, isn't it? To do hard work and then not get recognition for it and be expected more. That's tough, isn't it? But that's what we're called to do. We're an army of one. Each one of us, each one of us is a trained warrior making up a body, an army. That's what we do. We do the hard things. But let's see what happens after that. After he had done the hard thing, what happens? He says, then Jesus goes, will he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? What do you think the answer is? No. No. He's not going to thank the servant because he's a servant. That's what he does. He's a servant. When 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 you tell your child to do something... Do you go to them every time and say, oh, yeah, you did such a good job. You did such a great job. I want to tell you that affirmation is needed sometimes. But most of the time we need to do what we're doing because we were told to do it and we're a servant without expecting any reward. Said, will he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? (laughs) If Jesus doesn't answer it, you're supposed to answer it. What's the answer? No. So you also when you have done everything you were told to do, should say, we are unworthy servants. Have only, we have only done our duty. I want to say, church, each and every one of you, this army of one, you have a duty. Everybody say duty. duty. Doesn't matter how great, how small you appear in the eyes of man. You have a duty, and you need to do it. Amen? Amen. Let's go to Matthew chapter 20. Most of us most of us have come across this passage at one time and said, what? What is this about? Verse 1 says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About nine in the morning he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. That's us. He told them, 
you also go and work in my vineyard and I'll pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about noon and about three in the afternoon and did the same thing. About five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around. He said to them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. That's pretty interesting, isn't it? You would think that Jesus would, or the, the master, would pay the ones who were hired first. He would pay them first and then pay the ones that were hired last. He would pay them last. Pastor Wade was sharing, doesn't it make sense that he would pay the ones who were last first? Because that way the ones who were first won't get to see what they're making. Right? Shouldn't the ones who were last make less than the ones who were first? Right? Yeah, that only makes sense, right? Look what he does. He says, The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. So when those who came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. My gosh. Here are people who were doing nothing now grumbling against the landowner. These who were hired last worked only one hour. They said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, I am not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give to the one who was hired last the same as I gave to you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? Ooh. Come on, church. Is there anybody in this church envious because you see someone else getting recognized for what they're doing? And you look at yourself and you're saying, you know, I've been here for 10 years. I've been here for five years. I've been here for two years. Why am I not getting the same? You see, we have a problem in our mindset. And this is what happens. We begin to think that what we are doing is more important than who we're doing it for. We begin to think that what we are doing is more important than who we are doing it for. That leads us to think, oh man, you know, I get to go, uh, what's up? I get to go to uh, a swan, you know, or hey, uh, how come I, I'm staying here and he gets to go to a swan? Or uh, hey, how, how come I get to sit next to Pastor Wade? Or hey, how come... Uh, how come I don't get to sit next to Pastor Wade? You know, why is that person, they get to lead worship and I don't? I'm just as talented. I think I am. Why can't I do that? You see, what you do is not as important as who you are doing it for. What matters is that you're focused on who you are serving rather than how you're serving. Yes, our performance in the kingdom is everything. Jesus said, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. But when we, were, when we begin to idolize what we are doing, we take the eyes off of who we are doing it for. Amen? How many of us, from time to time, we get into the mindset of, well, I'm for the kingdom, so therefore I'm great. Or, or you know, I'm, I'm not doing, I'm, I don't feel like I can do what that brother does, so I must not be as great. Has anybody fallen into one of those two traps? 
Oh, man, look what I get to do. I'm awesome. Oh, man, I don't think I can do that. I, I, I'm not awesome. No, you must understand that Jesus chose you to work and every single one of you, every single one of you has a duty to fulfill for the king. doesn't matter if you're gifted in one area or the other. doesn't matter if you're working longer or if you came in at last. Every single person is, this is an army of one and you all are one and a part of an army. I found an article, a couple articles I want to read to you. This one comes from Charisma News. You guys familiar with Charisma Magazine? It's called The Spiritual Danger of Being Bored to Death. I'll read. The other day, a middle-aged, mature Christian blurted out in a statement that shot like a rocket through my spirit. He looked me straight in the eyes and said, I am so bored with life. I'm fed up with everything. Why did his words have such an impact on my life? Why should these words refuse to flow from the life of any follower of Jesus? What happens when a message such as this lands on the ears of a non-believer? Allow me to share with you some valuable lessons that should remain signed and sealed for eternity in your heart. First of all, this man was not speaking of a temporary season of frustration. He was sick of his Christian life, and he didn't care who was aware of his pitiful plight. This statement, as a Christian, should be impermissible. We have trained our children, now adults, to never, ever utter these words. As a Christian, with all the promises of Christ, in a blessed nation with unspeakable freedoms, where does boredom come from? I'll read you another one. This is a, some Christian blogger I found on the internet. It says, but the longer you accept boredom, ignoring the red flag, the more things become dangerous. Prolonged boredom leads to cynicism, anger, distrust, and a host of other issues. When I think about the landscape of American Christianity, the red flag is up. Boredom has moved from, unhealthy to, from healthy to unhealthy levels for many Christians. Worship is unfulfilling. Expectations towards God are low. Many wake up every day and are content with going through the motions. Arguing and cynical behavior are high. Why is it that God offers people a life to the fullest, yet many Christians, starting with me, seem to live life on life support? The reason this struck me as, is interesting is I begin, first I begin to think, how ridiculous is that, right? How ridiculous is it that there is even a thing as Christian boredom? But then I begin to think, these men wouldn't write these articles if it wasn't a pandemic in the church. These men wouldn't write these articles if it wasn't something that's going on. If it wasn't a problem that is being dealt with in the church. And so I believe, and I feel them, I sense in my spirit that there are, are men and women in this church who are suffering from spiritual boredom. How that happens is you begin to focus on what you're doing or what you're not doing. You take your eyes off of who you're doing it for, and before you know it, your spiritual life wanes, begins to wax, begins to grow cold. Everything seems to be dull to you. You lose sight of what God's called you to do. You lose focus of the gifts that God has given you individually. And before you know it, you feel like you have nothing to offer and you have no purpose. Are there people in this room tonight who are struggling with purpose in the kingdom? You're struggling with purpose in this church? Are there people, are you in this, in this body, a fired up radical body affecting five continents this moment, and you're sitting here and you're thinking, man, I just don't know what my purpose is. Or, man, I just feel spiritually bored. 
I don't feel excited about the kingdom of God like I used to. I don't feel like I'm producing fruit. I don't feel like I'm moving. I don't feel like I'm as effective as, as maybe Nick or Judah or Elder Bosch. I don't feel like I'm, I'm producing the kind of fruit that Pastor Wade is. Do you struggle with that? Do you feel like you have no purpose, that you have nothing to contribute? Well, we're going to dig down deep into that tonight, and we're going to see that every person is, an, is a valuable asset to this army, this army of Echad. Amen? Amen? A couple of scriptures right off the bat. Struggle with Christian boredom. That shouldn't be the case. That shouldn't be the case at all. Romans 8.15 says that the spirit you receive does not make you slaves. I'm going to quote this one for you. So that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are God's children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. How could we be spiritually bored if we are co-heirs with Christ? If we are co-heirs and children with Christ, how could we fall into spiritual boredom? It's because we lost sight of something. Revelation 22, verse 3 through 5 says, No longer will there be any curse. This is the last day. This is, these are the last days when everything is fulfilled, church. Neither will there be any curse. The throne of God and the Lamb will be in the city and His servants will serve with Him. Amen and amen. Can you say that you're going to serve with Him? You are His servants and you're going to serve with Him? They will see His face and His name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night and they will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun. For the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. Can you say that? They will reign forever and ever. Say that with me. You will reign forever and ever. You are going to reign with Christ forever and ever. You are a co-heir of Christ. You are a son of the King. You cannot suffer to spiritual boredom in this house. What Some of the thoughts that keep us from fulfilling our purpose are, I'm not needed in this body. I'm not needed in this body. I want to say to every single one of you that you are needed in this body. Amen. But... I know if you have a mind like, my, like me, when somebody stands up on the stage and says, yeah, we need you, we need you, we need you, you know, part of me thinks, well, no, you don't. You got guys like JJ in the church. You got guys like Nolan in the church. You don't need me, right? There's so many strong men and women in this body. What, what need am I going to fulfill? How about I'm not as strong as those guys? Does that keep you from thinking what you could be doing? Well, not as strong. I'm not as strong as Steve Thomas. I'm not a prayer warrior like him. I'm not as full as the Holy Ghost as Steve Thomas is. I'll never make an impact. I'll never do what they do. Or how about I'm being held back? I'm being held back by my sin. That's a problem. Being held back by my pastors. That's a big problem, but on your end. Being held back by God. That's a big problem, but on, on your end, not on God's watch. You see, those thoughts permeate the church all of the time, and they come in subtle ways. They come in, in the times where, where someone's up here preaching, saying, all right, amen, church, we're going to do this as a church. We're going to go out. We're going to win the loss. Perform out there what you practice in here. All right, let's all, get, let's all crucify ourselves to the flesh and go out and win the world. 
And then you, there's that subtle thought in the back of your mind saying, I can't do it. I'll never do it. I'm, I've never been as strong as, as those guys. Or, or what, what gift can I possibly have? What need, what purpose do I fulfill? I want to tell you again that it's not about what you do. It's who you do it for. I want to prove that. Psalm 51, verse 16 through 19. I'm going to quote this one too. Psalm 51, verse 16 says that you, God does not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. You, God, will not despise. You see, God did not require sacrifices so he could just have a lot of dead animals. God did not require sacrifices so that he could just have a golden altar overflowing with blood. God required sacrifices so that the people of God, their hearts would be broken and contrite and inclined to want to seek after him, to want to seek after the living God and serve him. That's what it requires to be in this army of Echad. That's what it requires to be one in this army is that you have a willing heart, that you have a broken spirit, that you're contrite, that you go to the Lord. That's what it requires. So as we start tonight, as we get into this, we're going we're gonna to read about spiritual gifts. We're going to read about what you can do, body, to serve the Lord more. But before we do, let's ask, do you have a broken and contrite heart? Do you have a spirit that is dripping to ask the Lord, Lord, what do I need to do to be closer to you? Do you have a heart that says, oh my God, I'm broken that I'm not doing enough. I'm not producing enough fruit. Lord, show me how I can do it. Do you have that heart? Because if you don't start there, then the rest of this message is worthless. Do you hear me, church? We don't start at a broken heart and a contrite spirit asking, Lord, I've tried. I've tried in my own strength. I've tried by my own right hand and I've failed. Lord, how do I do this? You've got to show me. If you don't start there, then you might as well just walk out right now. So come on, church. Do we have a broken, do we want to have a broken heart in this place? Yes. All right. Amen. Before we begin to think that sacrifices are not important, it says, a broken and contrite heart, God, you will not despise. May it please you to proper Zion and build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in the sacrifices of the righteous and burnt offerings offered whole. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. See, God does want sacrifices, but the right ones. Amen? Amen. So let's talk about how to offer the right sacrifices. Turn with me to Numbers 31 and verse 2. We're going to read a little bit. You guys up for it? Are you with me? Come on, let's do this. (laughs) Numbers chapter 31. Say there when you're there. All right. Verse 2 says, Take vengeance on the Midianites for the Israelites. After that, you will be gathered to your people. So Moses said to the people, Arm some of your men to go to war against the Midianites so that they may carry out the Lord's vengeance on them. Send into battle a thousand men from each of the tribes of Israel. So 12,000 men armed for battle and a thousand from each tribe were supplied from the clans of Israel. You see what's happening? Moses is going and he's saying to the elders, he's saying to the leaders, hey, choose a thousand men. Choose a thousand men from your, your tribe and send them into battle. The Lord didn't pick them. Moses didn't pick them. The people decided who would go into, into battle. That's one of the things that contributes to this ministry. 
Is this body, this people, you're the ones that get to watch the next ministers coming up and, and be able to identify and be able to recognize and be able to see, I see that in you. And you're the one, when we anointed Mike Hutchison to Washington, D.C., who did that? Who did that? It was this body. This body laid hands on Mike Hutchison to send him. So the people are going to appoint 12,000 men. So 12,000 men armed for battle, 1,000 from each tribe, were supplied from the clans of Israel. Moses sent them into battle, 1,000 from each tribe, along with Phinehas, son of Eleazar. Let's go on down to verse 11. They took all the plunder and spoils, according, including the people and animals, and brought the captives, spoils, and plunder to Moses and Eleazar the priest and the Israelite assembly at their camp on the plains of Moab by the Jordan across from Jericho. So they went into battle. They went on the mission field. They went over the seas. They went across. They left the body, and they went to fight, and they brought back plunder. They won. Let's go to verse 25. You guys with me? It says, The Lord said to Moses, you and Eleazar the priest and the family heads of the community are to count all the people and animals that were captured. Divide the spoils equally between the soldiers who took part in the battle and the rest of the community. From the soldiers who fought in the battle, set apart as tribute for the Lord one out of every 500, whether people, cattle, donkeys, or sheep. Take this tribute from their half and share it and give it to Eleazar the priest as the Lord's part. So you guys with me? The Israelites get plunder. The 12,000 men, they get plunder. They bring it all to Moses, and Moses says, all right, I want you to divide it in half, right down the middle. And I want you to give half to the Israelites who stayed, and half you keep for yourselves. All right? So half that stayed get to share in the plunder from the men who went and fought. Isn't that something? Reminds me of a word that Michael Hall was sharing with me. You guys remember David going against the people of Ziklag because they took all of his possessions? He goes, he goes and fights. He defeats them. He comes back with plunder. And what happens? David said, let's share it with the men who stayed. And the men who fought said, no, you can't do that. They didn't do anything. But David said, no, the plunder gets shared with the men who stayed. You see, there's an importance going on here between the people who stay, and the people who go. The people who stay are just as equally important as the people that go. You see, in our, in our world, in American Christianity, we want to elevate the people that go, 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 and we don't think a thing about the people who stay. And we do that to ourselves, too. We think, oh, man, they get to go. How come I don't get to go? Man, I want to go. I want to go like them. I want to be like them. But what are you doing here? What about who's staying here. You see, you can't go unless someone stays. Who's going to support them? Who's going to send them? Who's going to be here praying for them while they go? You see, when, when men go into battle, when, when men leave this church and they go out to the mission field and they get plunder from the Lord, that is shared with all of you. All of you get to take part in that because you are part of the body that sent them. You are part of the body that is praying for them. You are part of the body that is encouraging them, thinking of words for them, sending it to your pastors so that they can send to them. 
You are sharing in that plunder with them. When Brent Vincent goes to Indonesia and he's out there baptizing Muslims and you're praying for Brent, Lord, fill him with the Holy Spirit. Fill him with boldness. Fill him with power, mighty God. And you're contributing. You're giving to his ministry. You're saying, Lord, I'm going to take this amount of money and I'm going to send it to Brent or I'm going to put it in that tithe box so that can go to Brent. That is just as if you were there because you are contributing to that ministry. So look what happens. says that they're going to share it. They're going to divide the spoils equally between the soldiers who took part in the battle and the rest of the community. From the soldiers who fought in the battle, set apart as tribute for the Lord, one out of every what? 500. Whether people, cattle, donkeys, or sheep. Take this tribute from their half share and give it to Eleazar the priest as the Lord's part. From the Israelites' half, select one out of every what? 50? What do you mean 50? One out, of, one out of every 50? What does that leave them with? Hardly anything. One out of every 500 for 12,000 men to share? And then one out of every 50 for 600,000 families to share? Well, that's not fair, is it? It says, to give them to the Levites who are responsible for the care of the Lord's tabernacle, so Moses and Eleazar did, the priests did as the Lord commanded Moses. The plunder remaining from, that, from the spoils that the soldiers took was 675,000 sheep, 72,000 cattle, 61,000 donkeys, and 32,000 women who had never slept with a man. The half share of those who fought in the battle was 337,500 sheep, of which the tribute for the Lord, there's the number, 675, goes on and gives the numbers. Then in verse 32, everybody down at verse 32? It says, Moses gave the tribute to Eleazar the priest as the Lord's part, as the Lord commanded Moses. The half belonging to the Israelites, which Moses set apart from that of the fighting men, the community's half. I want to show you a slide. You see, it doesn't seem quite right. We able to pull that up? All right. So what's going on is the people have half. 600,000 people are sharing in this half portion. And then 12,000 men are sharing in the other half portion. And out of the half portion for the 12,000 men, they give one out of every 500. Look at this. 12,000 soldiers, 1,000 from each tribe. The plunder was 675,000 sheep, 72,000 cattle, 61,000 donkeys, 32,000 servants. Let's go to the next one, please. The plunder went half to the soldiers, half to the Israelites. The soldiers received 337,500 sheep, 36,000 cattle, 61,000 donkeys, and 16,000 servants. And the other half went to the people. But the soldiers were required to give one five hundredth, 0.2% of the plunder that they had. And the Israelites were required to give how much? 2%. 2%. That's less than a tithe. Let's go to the next one. A little bit slow tonight. Must be using an Android. (laughs) 
All right. So, essentially, what's going on is that, right there, that's it. Stay there. Nope. All right. So what's going on is that the, that the soldiers, they get to keep, look at that, they give 675 sheep, 72 cattle. Nope. We want to stay where we were. All right. 61 donkeys and 32 servants. The Israelites give 6,750, 720 cattle, 610 donkeys, and 320 servants. Can we go to the next slide? What remains for the soldier's share is each soldier gets 28 sheep, three cattle, three donkeys, and one servant. What does each Israelite get? They get to share. They get one sheep for every two families. Out of 17 families, they get to share one cow. One cow. Out of 20 families, they all get to split one donkey. And out of 40 families, they get to split one servant. How'd you like to be that servant? <laughs> Maybe that's what Jesus had in mind when he spoke about servants. Came to serve many, right? You see, there's something, there's something quite interesting to me here. You know, what if the Israelites are looking at the soldiers and saying, Hey, what, what is going on? How come... How come each soldier gets to have 28 sheep? How come each soldier gets three cattle and I got to share one cattle between 17 families? What's the deal? That's not fair. But what if the soldiers are looking at the people and saying, hey, you didn't have to go to battle. You got to stay here and you didn't have to go risk your head. You see what's going on here? doesn't matter who you are and what you're doing. You can always look at somebody else and say, hey, how come they get to do that? Or hey, how come they don't get to do that? Or hey, how come they get to have this and I don't get to have that? You realize that it doesn't matter which way you look. There is always a place you can put your eyes if it's not on the king of kings and saying, why don't I have that? Why can't I do that? Why can't I be like them? Like we said before, you have to put your eyes on the king whom you are serving and not what you are doing. To serve Him. See, it doesn't matter. What if you're the only one in here to be called to do nothing but secret service? Come here on a Thursday night where nobody notices you and you scrub toilets. What if you're the one that you're called to do that but God's preparing you so that you can go? When you do go, you'll be ready. You'll be humble. And you'll, you'll maintain a broken heart and a contrite spirit. What if the Lord's using that to teach you? You see the problem, church? We're looking at what we're doing and not about who we're doing it for. It goes on in the Numbers 31, 48 through 54. Guys, in verse 48, it says, Then the officers who were over the units of the army, the commanders of thousands and the commanders of hundreds, went to Moses and said to him, Your servants have counted the soldiers under our command, and not one is missing. So we have brought as an offering to the Lord the gold articles each of us acquired armlets, bracelets, signet rings, earrings, necklaces, to make atonement for ourselves before the Lord. Moses and Eleazar the priests accepted from them the gold, all the crafted articles, all the gold from the commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds that Moses and Eleazar presented as a gift to the Lord weighed 16,750 shekels. We looked that up, it's about 420 pounds. 420 pounds in gold. 
that the officers are giving up. You see, it's easy to think, oh man, how come I'm not like them? How come they get to share the most? But you don't see that they're giving up what's most precious to them behind closed doors. This wasn't done in front of the people. But look what, look what, look what goes, this is about to get really beautiful. You ready for this? The officers are giving in secret. And it says, Moses and Eleazar the priests accepted the gold from the commanders of thousands and the commanders of hundreds and brought it into the tent of meeting as a memorial for the Israelites before the Lord. You see what's going on? The officers are giving in secret and it's credited to the Israelites. It's credited to the people. You want to be an officer? You want to be in fivefold ministry? You're going to have to learn and give in secret. If you're in this body, you're struggling, you're like, Lord, how come I don't have any fruit? You do have fruit because you're here. You do have fruit because you're taking part in what God's doing here. And because of what God's doing here, that is credited to your account. It's a memorial before the Lord for you. Amen? Don't be discouraged. Don't be discouraged from doing, doing what God tells you to do. Don't be discouraged from looking for the gifts that God has for you because you don't think you have anything before the Lord. I want to I tell you, you do have something before the Lord in this body because you are here. You are here with us. You are in this army of one. Amen? Amen. I want to tell you that there are people with different callings. Okay, let's just get that right out of, let's get that right out of the bag. There are people in here with different callings. Say different callings. Different. Judah has a different calling than myself. Nolan has a different calling than myself. Michael, you have a different calling than Abimbola. Daniel, you've got a different, different calling from Natalie. Sydney's got a different calling than Ray in the back. You all have different callings, but you are either called to go down into the well or you are called to hold the rope for those that do. You are either called to go into the well or you are called to hold the rope, however that looks. You are either called to contribute financially, spiritually, using the gifts God has given you, or to go and contribute financially and spiritually how God has gifted you to do. I want to tell you that there are no missionaries in the Word. There are no missionaries. The word missionary doesn't even occur one time. Neither does mission field. But we like to say, oh, so-and-so is a missionary. Oh, so-and-so is a mission field. Or that place is a mission field. You want to know? Charles Spurgeon said, you're either a missionary or you're an imposter. Everybody's a missionary. Everybody is a missionary. Doesn't matter if you go or if you stay. I did a study not too long ago about men of God that stayed in their home country. And they are some of the most well-known ministers. Never left their country. Never got on a boat. Never got on a plane. William Booth never left his country. All he saw was that there was a need amongst the homeless in London and decided to go preach and give them, give them something to eat. And what do we think about William Booth? Oh, man of God, he's awesome. George Mueller never left his country. He saw a need, started an orphanage, and lived his life to provide for others. And they write books about him. I'm not telling you the goal is to get books written about you. I'm telling you, you don't have to leave. You don't have to cross the ocean to go to a mission field. Do you hear that? You don't have to go across the ocean to serve the Lord into what he's called you to do. And if God tells you to do that, you must. Amen? Amen. Turn with me to Exodus 35, verse 4. 
We're going to try to pick up the pace a little bit. All right? You guys ready? Exodus 35, verse 4. It says, Moses said to the whole Israelite community, This is what the Lord has commanded. From what you have, take an offering for the Lord. Everyone who is willing is to bring to the Lord an offering of gold, silver, and bronze, blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, and fine linen, goat hair, ram skins, dyed red, and another type of durable leather. Skip on down to verse 20. You there? Then the whole Israelite community withdrew from Moses' presence. And everyone who was willing and whose heart moved them came and brought an offering to the Lord for the work on the tent of meeting, for all its services and for the sacred garments. Everyone who is willing and whose heart moved them came and brought an offering. Everyone who was willing. I want to say to this church that everybody has something to offer. Everybody has something to offer. Say, I have something to offer. I have gifts for the benefit of others. Everybody has something to offer. All you have to be is willing and your heart has to be moved. So is your heart moved tonight? Are you willing? Come on, guys in the back, are you willing? You have something to offer. Go with me to 1 Corinthians 14.26. 1 Corinthians 14, 26. Say there when you're there. It says, What then shall we say, brothers and sisters? When you come together, each of you has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Everything must be done so that the church may be built up. Each one of you has a hymn. Say that with me. Each one of you. Every single person in this body is required to bring something. Something. You each are required to say something. Do you get in the habit of showing up to church and just expecting somebody else to do that? Do you you come to church and you expect someone else to have a word in tongues? And when you hear a word in tongues, do you just expect someone else to give it? Do you come to church with the idea that you're you're not going to contribute anything? Or do you come ready to give what God has given you? Each person is supposed to contribute something. Amen? Amen. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and we're going to read about what you have to give. Who wants to know what you have to give? Come on, do you want to know what you have to contribute to the body? We read last week that we are to have one shoulder underneath the weight. How are you going to do that? How are we going to do that? How can you contribute to that weight? It's a question, isn't it? Let's go to 1 Corinthians 12, chapter 8. Say there when you're there. It says, to, to one, there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And to still another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit. And He distributes them to each one just as He determines. Say, each one. Each one of you has a gift that God has given you to contribute to the body. So which is it? Who in here has got got the the gift of faith? Who in here has the gift of healing? Come on, that's a real question. 
Who in this body has a gift of miraculous powers? Who in this body has a gift of prophecy? Who in this body has a gift of distinguishing between spirits? We've got a a lot of work to do, huh, church? Can any of you stand up and say, yeah, I've got the gift of healing. I've got it. The Lord has given it to me. I'm going to use it for the glory of the Lord. Can another one stand up and say, I got the gift of prophecy and I'm going to come to church and I'm going to prophesy what the Lord's given me. Come on, church. Each of you have been given those gifts. And you want to know something special? Paul says, I desire all of them, all the spiritual gifts, especially. He said, eagerly desire the spiritual gifts, especially prophecy. Come on now. Are you eagerly desiring the spiritual gifts? Are you looking and saying, I can't do that? That's not enough to me. Maybe you've forgotten that Mark 16 says that he who believes in me will do greater things than I have done. He will cast out demons in my name. He will proclaim. He will heal the sick. He will raise the dead. Have we forgotten what we're capable of, buddy? Come on, guys. You have been given those gifts. We forget about that. They're yours. They're your weapons. You are an army of one, and God has given you those weapons to use. And it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter who you are. And you want to know what? The temptation is to say, well, I'm not fivefold ministry, so the gift of miraculous powers, that doesn't apply to me. Or, uh, you know, the gift of healing, yeah, I don't have it. Anybody ever think that from time to time? Come on, be honest with you. Anybody ever think that from time to time? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I know that's all for Pastor Eric and Pastor Wade and Pastor Matt. They got those gifts, not me. I can't do it. I'm going to show you another little area where you've got gifts that perhaps some of you in this room have. Turn with me to Romans 12. See, we're not going to leave anybody out of this. Can anybody here say, I've got the gift of miraculous powers, or I've got the gift of distinguishing between spirits? I hope by the end of the year some of you can. I hope by the end of this service, you pray and ask the Lord and He shows you what gift you have. I hope He revitalizes our heart into wanting all of them at the same time. Amen? We're going to go to Romans 12 and we're going to see that none of you are left behind. Whether you're in fivefold ministry or not, whether you feel like you're called to be like Reinhard Bonnke or not, whether you feel like you're called to be a healing evangelist or not, you still have a gift that God has given you. Romans chapter 12, verse 3. Who's there? says for I'm going to read I'm got the Nasby here I'm going to read it in the NIV on the screen it says but for by the grace given to me I say to every one of you do not think of yourself more highly than you ought didn't we say that earlier but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God ha- has distributed to each of you going to the next one for just as each of us has one body with many members and these members do not all have the same function So in Christ, we through many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. Go to verse 6. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. Okay? NIV says we have different gifts. See, it's not something that we should be ashamed of. We shouldn't be ashamed to say that, Nolan, Nolan, he's got that gift, and I don't have it, but I got this gift. We shouldn't be afraid to to explore and find out what gifts we have and how we can mesh them together with our brothers and sisters, how we can uh, edify one another. I like the way the NASB says it in verse 6. Verse 6 in NIV says we have different gifts. 
Nasby says, since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. You see the difference? Since we have these gifts, let's find out what we're going to do with them. Go to verse 6. Each of us is to exercise them accordingly. If prophecy is your gift, you're supposed to exercise it according to the proportion of your faith. Go to verse 7. If it's serving, then serve. Wait a second. What? The gift of serving? Who's got the gift of serving? I know we all got the gift of serving, but the way I read this is that there are people in the church who have the gift of serving. You have the gift of serving. That is your gift to edify the body, to build up the body. That is your gift to the church. You, come on, are you serious? The gift of serving? Some of you don't realize this, but you have that gift. You don't realize it, but when you serve other people, you feel like that's your sweet spot. Come on, Pastor Wade. That's your sweet spot. That's where I feel anointed. That's where I feel called. That's where I feel like God has blessed me in my life to serve others. Who in here has got the gift of serving? Come on now. How about the next one? If it's teaching, then teach. If it's to encourage, then give encouragement. What? You've got the gift of encouragement? Who in here has got the gift of encouragement? I can't tell you what a blessing it is to be with a brother who's got the gift of encouragement. I had two brothers today call me on the phone to pray with me. I can't tell you how alive I felt after that, going through the situation I was in, than to have two brothers call me and pray for me and encourage me. Some of you have got that gift. You've got that gift to encourage others and you're not using it. Because you're thinking, well, because I don't have the gift to prophesy, I don't have the gift of miraculous powers, then I'm not going to do anything. And some of you have got the gift to encourage others. Some of you, you can be calling other people and you can say, hey, brother, God put you on my heart. I want to pray with you, man. i got a word for you. You don't realize how that builds up the body. Come on now. You don't realize that when you do that, you're like the artillery shells firing from the seas onto the beach, clearing the way for the soldiers going forward. Come on. We are an army of one church. We are an army of Ehad. Everybody has a gift to contribute. I want you to run all of the words that you get through Pastor Wade, Pastor Matt, Pastor Eric, the elders. But come on, some of you just need to let loose, man. You just need to come to this altar. You need to pray, God, what are my gifts that I've been lacking? I see all of you in the back. I come to church every Wednesday and Sunday. I see all of you guys. And I know that some of you have some gifts that I don't have. I don't have that. I've got some gifts, yeah. And I, I try to use them every chance I get. But you can't come to church and say, just because I'm not preaching on Wednesday, I'm not preaching on Sunday, that I've got nothing to offer. You have got something for this body, church. You are equipped by the king to serve the army. Let's go. Let's keep on going. We got the gift of encouragement. Where are we at? Then give encouragement. If it's giving, then give generously. Man, you don't realize how much your money matters to the kingdom. And I can say this because I don't get a single dime from any of the tithes in this church. I have no connection whatsoever. But you don't realize what your dollars do that you give to the ministry. They feed the ministers in India. They go to the churches that are underneath Anand and Raja. They go to Indonesia. Those dollars go. 
These, your dollars go to support these pastors here. Do you realize that these pastors here couldn't do what they're doing unless, unless you gave, did what the Lord told you to do? I'm going to tell you that there are some people who just have, and I've been around it, they've had the gift of giving, and I'm like, man, I want to be like them when I grow up. I want, that is a better gift. That is, that is a better gift, I, I say, than teaching. Because what you're doing, what you're doing is furthering the ministry. And when I see it, when I see a brother just give out of his, out of his it, to where it hurts him, man, that makes me want to go further for the kingdom. Come on, if you've got the gift of giving, then give generously. If your gift is leading, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, wow. So you got the gift of showing mercy? I need to learn something from you. I need to come hang out with you. If you got the gift of showing mercy, do it cheerfully. Too long have we put these aside and say, you know what, those aren't important. They're, yeah, I see them in the Word, but you know those aren't really important gifts. I want to stand in this place tonight and say that some of you have those gifts, and those gifts are just as important as miraculous powers and healing. Amen. Turn with me to Romans 15. No, no, no. Let's keep going. Let's read verse 9. Love must be sincere. We're going to read on to 13. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Come on, church. Let's get our zeal up in the, in the house. That word in Greek is zeo. It means a white, hot, burning glow. Never be lacking in zeal. Never be learning in that white, hot, burning fervor. But keep your spiritual fervor. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Faithful in what? Prayer. prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Being faithful in prayer and sharing with the Lord's people who are in need. There's another couple gifts right there. There's another couple things you can do to contribute to the body. You can be hospitable, you can be charitable, and you can pray. I want to tell you that I myself, me, I don't realize sometimes the power of prayer, intercessory prayer for other people. I want to show you, I'm going to read a couple of verses to you just to kind of nail this, all right? Four times, five times, Paul's, Paul's asking for prayer. In Romans 15, 31 through 32, he says, Pray that I may be kept safe from the unbelievers in Judea, and that the contribution I take to Jerusalem may be favorably received, so that I may come to you with joy by God's will. He said, he said Pray that I be kept safe. In Ephesians 6, 18 through 20, he says, pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given to me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. In Colossians 4, verse 3, he says, pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Do you get the sense that if, we, if, if people didn't pray, he wouldn't be able to do it clearly? I do. Second Thessalonians 3, verse 1 through 2. As for the matters, brothers and sisters, pray for us that the message of the Lord may spread rapidly and, and be honored, just as it was with you, and pray that we may be delivered from wicked and evil people, for not everyone has faith. In 2 Corinthians 1, verse 8 through 11, it says, We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, all about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure 
far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. You get the feeling that he was about to die? Paul is about to die. And he says, But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us again. On him we have set our hopes that he will continue to deliver us as you help us by your prayers. Then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted us in the answer to the prayers of many. Come on, do you see that there? He's he's basically saying that that gracious favor was given to him because of the prayers of many. You see, you don't realize that your prayers are powerful and effective in opening up doors for men who are on the front lines. Your prayers are like those artillery shells going and softening up the enemy. See, so many people, they want to be like Paul, they want to be like Paul, they want to be like, like Peter, they want to be like the apostles. But how come nobody wants to stay back and pray? And how come people that are staying back, they don't pray? We lose sight that prayer is something that we can offer for the King of Kings. Prayer is a weapon that we have to knock down strongholds. If you're looking at this church and you're saying, I got nothing to contribute to this body. If you're you're in here and saying the body doesn't need me after this message, you have plainly just misunderstood the entire scripture. You have so much to contribute. You You can launch weapons of war in prayer, church. You can contribute to the needs. In 1 Corinthians 12, 12. Got a couple more scriptures and we're wrapping up. 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 26. It says, just as the body, though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit as to form one body. Whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body. It would, it would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body. It would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, what would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed all the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I do not need you. I have a little video prepared for you. If it comes up, it works great. If not, we're just going to keep rolling. Look at this. See, we, here we have a machine gun crew. And here you see two men and one guy on the gun, the other guy's helping him. All right? You're going to see this guy is looking, looking at the gunner and he's telling him where to place his, his, his rounds. He's feeding bullets into the gun. He's keeping ammunition into his gun. 
So while this is going, I want to ask you, which one, which one of those two men is the fivefold minister? It's the guy with the gun. It's the guy that's laying down the rounds down the down range at the enemy. Is it is it the guy who seems to be the tip of the spear? Or is it the guy next to him? Which one's the fivefold minister? Found a little bit of information from some of the guys in this body who served in the military that told me a couple things. You see, the guy on the gun is actually the junior member of the team. He's the one who carries and uses the gun. He's the one who engages the enemies. He listens to his spotter's directions. He provides intelligence. He picks the specific spot. He plans the route that the team will use to get in their position. And he plans the getaway for the team. That's the guy on the gun. What I didn't realize is the guy next to him, his spotter, he's actually the senior member of the team. Usually the guy who's the spotter is the higher rank, the more knowledgeable, the more trained, the one who's been there longer. He's the veteran, and the guy on the gun is the noob. (laughs) I could say noob, but he's the new guy, right? The guy to his left is the veteran, the higher rank than the guy firing the gun. The guy on the left is the senior member of the team. He's equipped with a rifle, a grenade launcher, as well as binoculars. He provides security for the gunner. He assists the gunner in locating, identifying, prioritizing, and ranging targets, as well as spotting the effects of the the gunner's shots. He frequently acts as the point man when moving to or from a position. Let's ask ourselves, church, which guy do you want to be? Which guy are you? Which, Which guy are you in the body? Are you the guy putting the rounds down range? Or are you the spotter? That's, called, that's aiding him. See, we don't realize that the guy that's aiding him is a higher-ranking soldier. You see, what we, think in, what we think all the time is that the five-fold ministry is the tip of the spear. It's not true. It's you. It's the body that is the tip of the spear. Amen. It's you that has the weapons in your hand, and you're putting the bullets downrange. You're the one hitting the enemy. You're the one waging the war in the hottest part of battle. All the fivefold ministry is, is just the guy right next to you feeding you the bullets and telling you where to land your shots. That's all it is. No one in this church is independent of each other. No one in this church is greater than the other. Because you're, because, because you're, the, you're the, the Christian foot soldier or whatever, there's no rank and file in the kingdom. But let's say you're the one doing all the work. You're not less nor are you greater. Let's say you're the one that's preparing the body, preparing it for acts of service. You're not less, nor greater. We equally need each other in this body. Just because some have the gift of prophecy does not mean that the people who have the gift of serving are less great. Do you guys hear me tonight? We're going to share a few more scriptures and we're going to close out. If the worship team would come up, says, on the contrary, verse 22, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty. While our 
presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it. You guys hear that? Parts that lacked it? So that there would be no division in the body, but that its parts should have an equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. You see, there are some in this body that seem to be less seen than others. Some of us, we, get to come, we, we come up here, we preach on Wednesdays, we preach on Sundays, and the temptation is to think that the guy on the stage is the one that gets the most honor. It's the parts that are unseen that get the most honor. The parts that are working behind the scenes, that are less noticed, that have less so-called prestige, that are more honored by God. See, there are men and women in this body who are working very hard and don't seem to get noticed for it. How many of you, how many of you have been moving and Mario and Alicia have shown up to your house to help you move? How many of you have had Carlos come help you? Many of you have, have had Brandon come help you in your CARES events. How many of you have had Ray with you ne- next to you on the mission field like a boss and he's the one winning all the souls and you're just feeding him the bullets? Yeah. I've been there. Yeah. How many of you have been in the, in the jail cells with Spencer and Spencer's leaned over at you and give you some insight that he's got into worship? I want to tell you that there are men in this body that what you're doing, God sees it. Amen. And because you don't seem to get noticed, because you don't seem to stand on a stage, because you don't seem to be sitting next to Pastor Matt all the time at his house, that doesn't mean you have less honor. That means you have more honor. You hear that? The honor in every army goes to the foot soldier out there fighting the battle, not to the general sitting in the tents. It is the soldiers who fight the battle that get the plunder so that they can go share it. Amen? You guys are the soldiers. Those that are not fivefold ministry, they are the soldiers who go and get the plunder. Do you realize that? Stand up with me.